Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Uh, Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to another version of Bill Roden on Sports here in a secret location in Manhattan with uh, my co-host and friend, the great Jamal Murphy. Great to, be, great to be here. Uh, happy 2018. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. All that good stuff. Uh, glad to be back for another another year. This will be a good year. Another year. I can, year. Feel, it. I can feel it. Yeah, well, it's like year three, something like that. Year, Two or three. Year three. Wow. Yeah, you know, come a long, come a yeah. long way. I want to take this out. Well, first, you know, we've got a um, we've got a guest. We we always have we're very been fortunate to have great guests on Bill Roden on sports. And uh, today we have an exception, one of the exceptional new wave of talent, young journalist, uh, Rihanna Walker, the great Rihanna Walker. She's a colleague of mine at ESPN's The Undefeated. She's an associate editor at uh, at The Undefeated and a graduate of the Merrill College of Journalism at the University of Maryland. She was a Terrapin. Um, but really, if, if you've read uh, The Undefeated lately, you've seen uh, Rihanna's work. I mean, she, she not only does she crank it out, but she cranks out really great pieces of all size and length. She's, does, she's done some tremendous uh, historical pieces, some, mm. some great videos. She's done a great, uh, some great work with black jockeys. Um, she was voted, uh, she was named one of the top 10 black women sports journalists in 2017 and rolling out. And uh, she's been a, outspoken in her support of the LGBTQ community. Uh, she covers pop culture, sports. She's just really, um, she's just really fabulous all the way around. So, Rihanna, welcome, welcome Thank to the so show. Much. Thank you so much, Phil. Thank you so much, Jamal, for having me. And I must say, um, I wish you could see me, but I know you know when people compliment it, I turn red. Uh-oh. Um, red. I am bright red right now. So thank you for all of those compliments, especially coming from the two of you guys. I, I do wish you know how much that means to me and how much it does mean to me as well, too. Yeah. Well, we got an idea. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> no, but but you, you earned it and you deserved it. And Jamal, I just want to say, see, Jamal dragged me from my office today. Got to do what to you got to do. To, to you come know? back. Real, real, for, for a great cause. This is rodent yeah. on sports. You got to be you, here. And you, and you trust me, right? I don't drag you just for anything, you know. Well, I, you know, it's only good stuff. I'm like, I'm on sabbatical. I'm like on you know, book you try, sabbatical. You got to write that book. I know. I'm a book sabbatical. And you say, yeah, that was last year. <laughs> 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 Those sabbaticals aren't getting good to you. But anyway, um, man, there's so much stuff to uh, uh, to talk about. I guess the big news, and I'm not sure how surprising it is, is once again uh, POTUS 45 mm-hmm. is um, taking the vocabulary of racism uh, to a whole new level. I guess he had a sort of let his base know that he's he's down there with him. Uh, right. Jamal, you want to kind of fill us in on what he did this time? Well, you know, it's out there. Everybody, uh, I'm sure, has heard at you know by now. Uh, I think it was yesterday, you know, during a meeting with congressmen and senators talking about immigration uh, and his plans for immigration and all that. He he said that he was he was asking why is the country letting all these. Uh, Immigrants come in from these shithole countries, such as Africa, which I didn't know was a country, um, and Haiti. Uh, and he's, why don't we, uh, why don't we just accept more people from Norway, the great country of Norway? You know, no shade, but um, you know. So we, but but as you said, it's not, it's no surprise. Uh, it was obviously you know another one of his racist comments, 
And to me at this point, you know, I'm not surprised by anything he does anymore, but it's, I'm more disgusted about by, you know, everybody who steps up and tries to defend him at this point. I think that they're even worse. Right. What's the defense? Rihanna, I mean, you cover culture and pop and you're, uh, and you're right down in D.C. Uh, your, your reaction to this particular insult? I have to say that it was just one of those things where it shows how little he knows about history. If you know anything about Haitians, they've been helping the United States since they came to be, the Revolutionary War. Of course, they were the first predominantly black country to gain their independence in 1804 and set the framework for how other black nations could gain their independence from their colonial um, emperors, uh, what have you, kings, queens, whatever have you. It just shows, again, that he knows nothing about the relationship that we've had with the country of Haiti or Haiti's relationship with other countries that they've helped gain independence in South America or anything along those lines. He sees these countries, the ones that the Haiti specifically, and then calling Africa country, which you can take that for what it is. Africa is a whole continent with a series of different kinds of people, series of different kinds of countries. And he perceives that people from these countries within Africa are less deserving to come to the United States when the fact of the matter is that people coming from the African continent make up 43 percent of the people that have baccalaureate degrees and bachelor's degrees in the United States of America. That's the highest total for any total group coming from one specific continent into the United States of America. And I'm more than positive he doesn't know that. Right, right. And didn't care. I mean, that, isn't that the thing? I mean, number one, here it is once again, we're talking about it. You know, and I think that that that's sort of, I guess, the this is, you know, continue to, to have people talking about POTUS 45. I mean, that's the whole point of any of this thing, is just to, like the Le, Le, LeVar Ball, it's sort of the, the, the LeVar Ball um, ethic, mentality. Right. Of everything is good. Mm -hmm. Everything is in. Everything is in bounds. There are no more boundaries. You know, like in right. basketball, you have boundaries, or football. But this is this is the first game where there are no boundaries. <laughs> like, right. everything is in bounds. No, there right. is no out of bounds. You're right. And it's, it, yeah, it's almost right. like, in, in, along those lines, it's interesting. I'm watching uh, cable news last night, and you talk about, you know, no, no more boundaries. It's like, you know, they're allowed. All of a sudden, they're allowed to say shithole or shit. They're allowed to curse on, on the nighttime news now because the president said something. So we're allowed to talk about that now. Remember when he said, "Grab him by the pussy." All of a sudden, you're allowed to say that now. It's like, it's like, give, let, you know, let's give him something else he, he can open up. Next, you know? next N word, <clears throat> and then he'll say, "Well, you know, right. Jay Z says it. You know, how come Jay Z?" You know, and so I guess the thing about all this is okay. Uh, that's all well and good, but now how do the how do our brothers and sisters from Africa respond? Mm. How do our brothers say, in other words, what's the response? How do the people from Norway respond? I mean, do they say, hey, "Don't use us as your straight man"? Right. You know. Don't, see, I think that 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 um, it's really important, and and you know, and this is how do you, you know how do you respond, Rihanna? I mean, what do you as journalists? How do we respond? Uh, how do we? Well, that's a great you question. Know, you know. I feel like at the bare minimum, so like Anderson Cooper last night was trending, and he was trending into this morning for calling what Trump did racist, mm. which I'm sure, as you guys remember, Jamel Hill got in trouble because she called the president a racist. Well, she um, called him a white like supremacist. A, a, a white supremacist, excuse me. A little bit, um, just slightly. A white supremacist <laughs> surrounded by white, other white supremacists. Exactly. Right. Um, and she caught heat. And obviously, Jamel works in sports, um, and there was argument about the avenue for which that she was talking about this. 
well, you know, for those people that are like, he's done nothing to, you know, prove he's a racist, um, I would say those people, either you're intellectually dishonest and or you're just, you, you, you either don't know about the Central Park Five, you don't know about the lawsuits about the housing integration, you choose not to know about the birtherism movement where in which he, he accused President Obama of not being born in the United States, forcing him to produce a birth certificate. He talks about Mexicans as being rapists and drug dealers and murderers when he first announces that he wants to run for president. You know, for some people, they'll say, you know, we didn't, how will we ever know? And for others like myself and a lot of journalists of color and a lot of people of color, anyone who has any sense of them, you're sitting there looking like the evidence is right in front of you. If you want to see it, you can see it. If you don't, you don't. So Anderson Cooper calls him a racist. Um, April Ryan today, when he's signing this proclamation at the Martin Luther King event, he asked she asked him straight out, but of course he didn't answer, are you a racist? Since there's been so much conversation about it, let's just get straight to the source and ask because he doesn't approach the media. He doesn't, if he wants to walk down to the press room and, ha- and answer some questions, he certainly could, but instead he goes on a TV where he's not going to be available for questions to the media because he's ducking them at this point in time. So it's our job as journalists to call out the behavior. That's the first thing. Um, no sugarcoating it. Like, for instance, like falsehoods and stuff like that. If something is a straight-up lie... It is what it is, isn't it? That's that's what it is, no less, Trump. But sugarcoating something, making something seem less than what it is, like saying racial undertones mm. or maybe a little racism in nature, just call it racist. Just call it straight up what it is. Now, for other countries, you guys need to put pressure on him and his administration because it's not just him. What Jamal said earlier, that the people that try to delegitimize will, like the, or minimize what he's saying or make it seem like it wasn't as bad as what it was, you need to start calling them out. Like right. the um, ambassador from Haiti has said that we've immediately sought a conversation with members of his administration to explain to us what he meant when he said that. You need to start doing that. Now, of course, has Trump shown us that he's capable of telling the truth or that he's capable of, when presented with a situation, being able to handle it? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. So I wouldn't expect much from those conversations. Um, he turned to the nephew of Martin Luther King Jr., today apparently and told him that he's being presented in a worse light than he actually is um was it Maya Angelou who said that you should believe people when they show you who they are I think it was Maya Angelou who said that um you don't words at this point don't mean anything people need to put pressure on him if you guys want to get out of this clown show and this circus show whatever have you you need to stop giving him attention I mean we've we've asked the question about why do why do you guys continue to go you guys continue to go to the pulpit where they continue to tell you guys these lies we're not necessarily learning anything. If anything, it creates more of a circus show the next day from the information coming from the White House press secretary or from his office in general. There's just so much to cover. And frankly, with these countries, and I, I really would hope Norway would unequivocally come, unequivocally come out and say that countries in Africa are not shithole countries. The people that are coming from them are not shithole people. And they do have value regardless of what Trump thinks. Um, and I would hope that the countries from Africa do what Haiti is doing. Um, and, it, and frankly, like considering Haiti's history and doing all this stuff, they should follow their lead. They followed their lead before when it came to getting out of their ties with their colonial um, overtakers, what have you. I would follow their lead and put pressure on the administration to thoroughly explain what you mean when you say that Africa as a quote-unquote country is, is a shithole. <laughs> explain that to us. Right. And Why he, would you say yeah, that? And he can't explain it because – you know, I mean, he like you mentioned this before. I mean, he's not. I mean, let's, let's call a spade a spade, as you basically told us to do. Um, I mean, he's not the brightest guy that we've seen. Um, you know, people ask me, 
what's what's the one thing that b- bothers you most about Trump? It's not even the racism. I mean, I've, I, we've dealt with racism right, before. Right. It's the it's just the you know the lack of intelligence at as as the United States president <clears throat> but on you, a bunch you, but, of levels. But, but here he is. I mean, listen, POTUS forty five is in the White House. He's here, right? And so I say, you know, to to deal with. I mean, we've already talked, but like ten minutes, right? Fifteen minutes, which is yeah. I think the point of any reality show. I mean, you just want it to get more ridiculous, you know, because that's the whole point. There is no, you know, everything is. I guess it gets back to the point of sort of what do you do? I was just curious, Rihanna, Rihanna you, you cover um, uh, a lot of your work is historical in nature. You know, whether it's mm-hmm. the Black Jockeys, I think you're just finishing up a piece. Maybe you could tell us about the piece you're finishing up. Uh, Willie, you know, about Willie O'Ree, who was the first uh, black um uh, a hockey player, uh, and right. in, in the and you also did a piece um, on uh, Perry Wallace. Mm-hmm. But I was uh, mm-hmm. at an event yesterday, uh, two days ago, in Washington mm-hmm. at the um, uh, was the uh, Museum of African American History, and there mm-hmm. was a, there was a whole program sponsored by Vanderbilt about uh, Perry Wallace, and we actually talked to Perry uh, Jamal. I had him on our show, uh, and right. we talked to him for about an hour, and so there, there's this historical. Element, I think that um, y- y- you know when, when you've got clearly in, in this particular administration, uh, it's sort of we're, we're, we're really we're it's, a, it's an administration that's kind of ahistorical, and most people are ahistorical. Most most people in the country, black and white, and a lot of black folks have no sense of the the damage and the evil that's been perpetrated against black folks in this country. And uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I looked at the. You know, and I, I came out of the museum uh, again the other day and sort of my third time there. And every time I emerged from it, you're pissed off. You know, people talk about, you know, the progress. And then you exit the museum and, you know, you're you're at the top when there's Oprah and that kind of stuff. And you walk out and you walk out into this and this stuff where uh, uh, a, a, a black man who protests in the NFL can't get a job. I mean, it's, mm. it's just a variation of the same. So I guess, Rihanna, as, as a young journalist, as a young journalist, sort of what is your, and, and, and again, a young journalist and you're in sports and, and you know, and, and there are restrictions about what you can write and how, how, how deeply you can go after something like that. What is your approach uh, to, to your work in terms of um, truth telling, uh, uh, forming a resistance, uh, educating? Mm-hmm. I mean, what sort of what's your, what, what's your approach? Um, so my minor in at Maryland was history. I've always, I've always loved history. I just find it fascinating. And the thing with sports is that I think you guys will both agree is that sometimes you start looking into a specific story and you find tidbits that will lead you to another story. And it's like I just explained it to somebody else today is, you know, like when the um, gold miners went out to San Francisco and they found all the gold. For me, it's the same equivalent because sometimes you go in thinking you know something Mm-hmm. And you realize you don't know as much as you think you know. Um, and when it comes to covering, I, I mean, I probably this more for my um, friends who are in politics, um, what you do, you go back in history. Among a lot of them, they will go back and they will reference something that has you know, been said, or they'll go back in history and they'll look at the way something was and put it in a proper context. Um, so, for instance, I think one of people's favorite ar- arguments is they always talk about black people. They're like, why are you guys Democrats? Democrats is a party that, you know, had slaves, da-da-da-da-da. Mm. Um, and 
for someone who knows history, it, it's, it's like licking your chops because you already know that Democrats were the party that created and enabled slavery. And, um, excuse me, Abraham Lincoln was a Republican president. That said, when Dixiecrats came into play and the Republicans and Democrats switched in the 19, was this, 1930s, 1940s, um, they flip-flopped. The, the literal principles of the party flipped. So if you know that, you can argue that point down. And most people, most people say that stuff. They don't even know about Dixiecrats, uh, carpetbaggers, or anything else like that. They have no clue what that stuff is about. So if you know that, you've already got a leg up on that person. You're probably going to win that debate pretty easily. At least you should. Um, and with anything else that comes, so for instance, the protest during the national anthem, uh, people will talk about how you know, it's so anti-patriotic, blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting here like, I'm pretty positive that you guys, you know, or would you guys say, or would you guys know that the NFL didn't actually require its players to be out there for the National Anthem until 2009? Would you know that the Department of Defense paid $5.4 million to the NFL to have basically paid patriotism, the flag, the National Guard, to have the advertisements? A lot of people don't think about how many advertisements they see during an NFL game that relate to the military in some way, shape, and form. Specific teams got money allocated to them um, that ended up, I think, it was, I forget the uh, Arizona senator's name, John McCain, that they right. ultimately had to answer for, why are you paying these teams <laughs> for, this, right. for this kind of patriotism, in short? Right. Well, when you know history and you understand that players have not always stood for the national anthem, that the department has paid for this kind of stuff, or even why this even got started in the first place. Uh, a lot of people have no idea that it started with the World Series in 1918 between the Red Sox and the Chicago Cubs. They have no idea. And they wouldn't even I, – I would ask them, well, which player was it that started? Like, or, you know, what was the circumstances? And they couldn't tell me that, well, the third baseman for the Red Sox, Fred Thomas, he was actually an active military member um, off assignment to play in the World Series. And they played the national anthem during the seventh inning run because the fans were – we're miserable. I mean, you're in the middle of World War One, and you're, you're worried about loved ones who are participating in the war. You're worried about the state of the country and what's going to end up happening if the United States loses for whatever reason. They're somber because this is all the real world issues are coming to them, and they're at this game. So they play the national anthem. By the end of the national anthem, everyone is singing, but Thomas is standing at attention because obviously that's what military members do. Um, the teams would stand at the civilian attention for them. And they continued to play the national anthem throughout that World Series. They played the next game. When they went to Boston, they brought out wounded veterans to basically up the ante of, like, well, this is we can be more patriotic than you guys can. Um, and down to having an executive order signed that if the military band was at a sporting event, they would play the national anthem. Well, you um, mean, I, I, just, I mean, obviously you use history as a lesson, uh, you know, to, to point out to people, um, you know, you know, what actually – how history repeats itself, but mm-hmm. but in this in, in in this particular day and age where you you mentioned mm-hmm. before, uh, you had Jamel Hill uh, suspended for 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 basically saying, you know what you know many people probably thought was or believed to be the truth. How how mm-hmm. does something like that specifically affect your you know what you're willing to write and what you're willing to say? Do you do you find yourself having to navigate? Um, how how you speak your own truth? I mean, how how does something like that affect you? Does it chill you in terms of in terms of your speech or your writing? No, because I think that too many of my uh, journalist colleagues are, I would say, complicit. Uh, I would, I wonder sometimes about, like I said, being matter of fact. 
if someone lies, they lie. Do we need to write falsehood, fudge the truth? You sound like you're talking about a toddler. You don't sound like you're talking about the most powerful position in the United States of America and the person that is in charge of that lying, flat out lying. Um, it sounds like to me that people should be a little bit more upfront. And as I said before, you need to call a spade a spade. If anything, I feel that I've become more resolute in being and not sugarcoating stuff. I think a lot of people um, in the media, one of the things that unfortunately we've had to deal with is people, some people feeling as though we were too politically correct or we don't say things as they are, um, or we're trying to hide something from them that a lot of us aren't. Most of us just trying to do our job. Um, I was already a very matter-of-fact person before, but especially now it's kind of like I'm more than willing to tell you something as it is, and that's just that. Have you seen um, – you seen? I find, I find it much easier to be honest with you. Have you seen any, any difference in, ter- in terms of covering sports and, and teams – you know, you cover all you know all the leagues out there: NHL, MLB, NBA. Have you seen mm-hmm. a Trump effect? Have you seen any difference between, um, you know, how guys on teams or women on teams are, are you know, think now? Um, take you know, do you see any difference now than before in terms of, uh, in terms of, I guess, activism or whatever? I think that a lot of players are feeling personally attacked and I think that they're becoming more comfortable with speaking the truth because I think that they've seen with not just Colin Kaepernick but for instance when the president called the players who kneel sons of bitches um, a lot of players spoke out about that and a lot of players that usually don't speak out about controversial things because they are worried about like advertisements uh, their branding whatever the case may be but I think a little bit. I think a little bit more of them have become more open. I mean, if you look at, for instance, Steph Curry or Kevin Durant or LeBron James, look at how vocal that they've become. Right. I I, I give an example. Do you guys remember that cover that LeBron James did? I think it was with Vogue. It was, it was the first time uh, that a black man appeared on the mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. he looked like King Kong. Right. And he came out and he said he's like, well, I don't really see the issue with the the cover. I don't think the LeBron James of today would ever have done the cover, and if so, maybe even he would look... Like, for instance, you know what? Prime example, the kid that was wearing the coolest monkey in the jungle right. sweater, that LeBron, LeBron James today would not have said what he said a few years ago. So if nothing else, a lot of what I'm seeing with athletes I cover is personal growth and understanding of how these things play out, of what these things look at. Because he may have looked at it as just like, is this a shoot? Like, you know, I'm with Giselle Bunchen, and, you know, like maybe there were some other photos they could have used, but, like, you know, what's wrong with me as a very strong athlete, you know, kind of showing that, like, emotion? Well, I think LeBron today would be like, well, now I understand that the way that I was presented, historically speaking, falls in line with the King Kong image and the white woman in the, um, in the grasp of the dangerous black male or whatever have you. And maybe he wouldn't say it like that, but I think he would acknowledge that that is that photo is problematic in the way that he was presented to look like a brute as opposed to just your simple I'm a sh- athlete showing emotion showing how strong I am blah 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 right. I think that's the biggest change I've seen so far Today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com/billrodenonsports Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, that's www.audibletrial.com backslash Bill Roden on sports. Check it out. By the way, our guest is Rihanna Walker, a tremendous uh, writer and journalist for ESPN's The Undefeated. 
Um, two, two things I want to ask you a couple of questions about. Um, how uh, do, do, do you feel, fr- well, do you feel free or liberated in terms of what your assignment is to, um, are you free to, you know, write about these types of things in the undefeated? I mean, how do you approach it? Because I know that in different publications, unless you're a columnist, you're, 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 you're somewhat handcuffed by what you can say. So as a journalist, how do you get around that? I mean, how do you uh, express your outrage or, or protest if you're not a columnist as a, as a writer and basically doing, you know, historical pieces and that kind of stuff? How, how do you, how, what's your outlet for the outrage? Um, so I think, oh man, I want to say it was Raina. Raina is our managing editor who says that our outrage is smart educational pieces. One of the things that I learned doing debate was that you can't get mad. When someone comes at you with something you know not to be true or with personal shots, you have to keep your cool. And it's similar to sports too. The second that you give up either the veneer of being cool or actually lose your temper or get angry, you've lost the, the battle right there. So Something may frustrate me, something may make me angry, but the best thing that I could do is be smart and explain with facts and not be too emotional if at all in taking it down piece by piece. I'm t- I tend to be very sarcastic, so you probably won't see very much emotion, but you will see a lot of sarcasm um, and maybe even witty humor in the way I write sometimes because at some level it's almost comical that someone would put something out there that just doesn't hold up water. It doesn't. And I'm more than happy to tear it apart by piece. Um, so I walk into it sometimes with a little bit of joy, but surprisingly, I walk into it knowing that I know this isn't true and here are all the reasons why. Um, and let me explain it to you in no uncertain terms why that is. And at that point, for me, I've done my job. I've informed people. I've given them the facts as they are. And at that point, you can choose again to not see what it is, or, you know, you may end up learning something. A lot of times for people, the worst thing that you can do when you write is to tell someone that they're stupid. And as easy as it is to see something and be like, this is the most ridiculous, asinine thing I've ever seen, saying that only makes people build up a stronger wall. If I don't do that, and I make a few sarcastic jokes even a few times, it makes people a little bit less off. It takes people's guard down a little bit, and they become a little bit more reasonable to reading or understanding the point that I'm making, which is that this thought that you have is not accurate. And just because this person said it does not mean it is true. Hmm. Here's why. That's all. Hmm. What, what, what's um, um, how did you you get in? I know I, in the introduction I told you. I mean, I told the the audience. Uh, how, how you um, went to University of Maryland, came out of school of journalism. How did you get into this? I mean, what, you know, what, were you at five, six, seven? When did you know that this is what you wanted to do, eight? And, and, where, and where are you from originally? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm from, from Prince George's County, Pretty Girl County. Okay. Uh, Prince George's County, whichever one you want to use is fine with me, but that's the county right outside of the D.C. area, so sometimes I may say I'm from the DMV because if I say I'm from Maryland, it runs the risk of someone being like, oh, so you're from Baltimore. I love Baltimore. I'm not from Baltimore, though, so I'll tell someone I'm from the D.C. area before I say that I'm, I'm from Maryland. Prince George's County, isn't that where all the, all, the, all the rich black people live? That is certainly so. Matter of fact, there are <laughs> The gated the top, community. The top 10, there's a it, well, I don't live in a gated community. There is one that's right near my uncle's house, though, um, mm-hmm. up in uh, up in Marble. But there's this list of ten most affluent black county or cities in the United States, and we have five. Of them. So, okay. mm, all right, it's great. 
Um, but to answer your question, when I was younger, I actually wanted to be a chef. My mother actually bought me uh, a shirt, like one of the ones that the chefs have. I have it still, as a matter of fact. Um, I wanted to play basketball at Harvard when I was younger. I wanted to be an architect at one point. I love houses. I love the construction of different things. But um, your girl's not good at calculus, and she wasn't good at physics either. So she decided to switch to something she was good at, and that happened to be writing and talking a lot of times. And I loved history when I was younger too. So I took that as um, maybe I should do journalism. And I also knew that I wanted to stay in sports. I was never going to be a college athlete, nor was I a star high school sports athlete. Um, but I did love sports, and I thought that I could talk and connect with a lot of people. I'm a natural extrovert, so I figured this, you know, this could be something I do. Well, I went to Maryland because it's in D.C., but it's also in a space where if I want to do an internship in Baltimore, I could do an internship in Baltimore. So you have the outlets and the sun there. Um, or I could do some of the, the papers here. So there's Washington Post, there's the TV outlets here, you know, NBC, Fox, all of those. And Virginia has USA Today. So if I was interested in doing several different large internships, I had those right in my backyard, and I didn't feel like other schools offered me that same opportunity. I have nothing against Medill, nothing against Syracuse or any of those other schools. It's just that in terms of what, like, with the big papers that are there, they don't compete necessarily with the Washington Post. Um, the USA Today has a larger publication size. And in terms of if one do broadcast, the broadcast market is just bigger. Um, or excuse me, it's not bigger. I take that back. Broadcast market is not bigger, but I wasn't sure I wanted to do broadcast like the traditional sense of it. So I thought it'd be better to stay home. And being at Maryland didn't feel like I was necessarily at home. It's far and away from my house. Mm-hmm. Well, while I was there, I ended up doing nine internships. I did three jobs. And I met teachers who were, one, became my mentors, and two, I learned a lot of stuff that I could translate to the actual work that I was doing. So learning how to do a FOIA request, um, my classes on uh, journalism law, and learning how to use LexisNexis to look up lawsuits and things of that nature became beneficial for me for a couple stories I did when I was in Chicago. Um, I just knew that I of them and I felt like I had at least the personality for it and if I could get the technical training for it I might actually be good at it at some point in time had you ever thought about uh, some of uh, it's those people who um, have already read your work and are going to read your more of your work because of this you've done a lot of exceptional work uh, in the HBCU space Um, Mm -hmm. had you ever thought considered going to an HBCU you're talking to two HBCU graduates Mm -hmm. Jamal Murphy at North Carolina A&T and Bill Roden from uh, Morgan State, but had you ever thought of uh, of attending an HBCU? I did not think about attending an HBCU, and I do remember one of my mother's colleagues uh, commenting about how I had not considered any HBCU schools. Um, hmm, I never, it never crossed my mind, not for good or bad reasons, to be honest with you. Just I literally never thought about going to an HBCU school. I have an aunt that went to Howard. I have an uncle that got his master's degree from Howard. It just never mm-hmm. dawned on me. I had my heart set on going to Maryland because I had Two uncles that went to Maryland. Um, actually, no, excuse me. Three uncles that went to Maryland. Two cousins that went to Maryland. And I have two cousins presently that are at Maryland as well, too. So mm. really, a lot of my desire to go to Maryland was that they were one of the highest ranked journalism programs in the country. I have a whole family line of people that went there. My uncle works there, as a matter of fact. Mm. And I was just comfortable with it. I had been going to basketball camps up there since I was mm, 10, mm. 10, 11 or so. 
I always I always thought of Maryland. I never excluded other schools. I just always thought of Maryland as the one school I wanted to go to. So what 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 drew you to uh to sports journalism? I mean, you just mentioned that you know you're going to basketball camp since since ten years old. Was it was it that? Was it you just grew up around sports and playing it, and you, and that was you wanted that to be your focus? I was. How do I say this? I was always very passionate about writing and history and talking and. If maybe if I had been as passionate as I was at that stuff, as I wasn't actually playing and training, I would have been a better basketball player. Right. But I knew I enjoyed sports in the sense of I always loved playing them. I had been playing basketball since I was four, um, and I did I did well when I was younger. I was a Prince George's County All-Star when I was 12 years old. We played a big game against New York, a bunch of New York All-Stars, and you know we ended up winning the game. But... After that, I just did not take it as seriously as I should have. Um, I went to a private school where I felt like I was substantially better than the people I was playing against, and I just did not treat it as I need to continue to work hard at it, and it got away from me. But that was never the case with school so much. I was just – I was always super competitive school. I didn't want anyone to ever be better than me. And if hmm. I truly had used that mindset with my sports stuff, I think I would have been much better. Right. So the short answer is that I wanted to continue to be around sports because I know how cool people are. I know that people that play sports aren't just dumb jocks, and I feel like sometimes when I read people's writing about athletes, it has that condescension of, like, they don't know as much or they're not as knowledgeable or they only got into sports because that was their only avenue out, and I know for a fact that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to present a different front, and maybe if people saw someone that looked like them, they'd open up about some other cool things that were going on in their lives, and we could get to some other really cool stories that maybe hadn't been talked about. So, Excuse me. So a lot of my interest is the fact that I got tired of the ways that people that play sports were presented in sometimes a negative light or in a light where they were only really good at this one thing or they came up from this really, really hard childhood upbringing and this was their way out. Um, I just wanted to tell a different kind of story because I felt like if I could just get close to people, they would trust me with the story and we could do some fantastic things and maybe people would see people that play sports. It's more than just your entertainers. Hey, hey, uh, let me ask you this. What has, kind of speaking that and staying there, what's been your experience as being a woman and a black woman uh, in, in this sports space, the sports journalism space in particular? Um, you're younger, so you, you, you've sort of been on the shoulders of a, of a lot of progress. But what's been your experience? Uh, and particularly, and we'll talk about the harassment uh, mm-hmm. issues later, but what's been your experience about being a uh, in, in a space, in a sports journalism space, has been largely male-centric and white male-centric. Mm, so I feel like the only time that really comes into play is like with hockey or with baseball. Um, and I have to say, hockey players are some of the nicest people I have ever met. I, I really started covering hockey when I was a junior at Maryland. Hmm. So, I mean... Um, excuse me, not even a junior. I was a senior. That was my first time covering an NHL game or any kind of hockey game. And they were super nice to me. Um, And that summer, my senior year, I went and I covered the Stanley Cup versus the Blackhawks versus Mm. the Tampa Bay Lightning. I never had any bad experiences. A lot of those guys are also foreign. So, Mm. like, for instance, when I talked about context, these guys are foreign born. Like, the concept of um, racism in the sense of what's like here at the United States is really, really different than what it's like um, in their countries, or even sexism well, in not, their countries. They're, they're not from any of the shithole countries. You know? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, well, there's that, too. Um, and baseball players, 
Baseball players can be really quiet. I, mm. I mean, you just got to they, – they're so – like that – you know, like that – those unspoken rules about being humble and right. everything else like that. It, you, you've been around baseball players. Some of them are eccentric, like Yasiel Puig. But there are a lot of them that are not as eccentric, and they're just – they do their job, and they're just happy, and they will just go along with the ride. It's cool. Um, I have truly – I've never had a bad experience with players. I'll say that. Players has never been my issue. Racism, sexism, whatever have you, and especially like NBA and football players, usually they're, we're, we're dapping it up. We're talking about music or whatever the case is. I feel like my blackness actually plays to my benefit a lot of the time, um, and they respect me just like anybody else. So I, I don't have an issue. Sometimes I think they respect me more than the people that um, are covering them that aren't black, whatever have you. They just feel like we can automatically connect. I have had only issues with other reporters and the PR guy for the Blackhawks um, that Stanley Cup, and everyone knows the rule that you go in the, to the NHL locker room, you don't stand on the logo. It wasn't stand on the logo, um, but we were all, all of the Chicago Tribune people were assigned to do video. So my video was loading slow, so I moved out of the way of the scrum because it's Stanley Cup, everyone's there, 60 people deep. So I move out of the way to try and fix the video. The guy approaches me about what I'm doing. I'm telling him I'm waiting for the video to load because it's taken a very long time. And he's like, well, you're not supposed to do video, which is confusing because my five other colleagues are doing video. My five other colleagues are white. And I say, uh, okay. It's like, well, my five other colleagues and several other people in this news, in like this, this space are doing video. So how come you're asking me about it? And he's like, well, it's a rule. And I was like, that's great. Why are you only pointing it out to me though? It's my question. And he wouldn't explain it further. So another PR guy, I walk up to him again and I say, you know, I'm actually really curious. Why is it that you pointed out to me only that I can't do video? And he was like, you know, if it's a problem, then we could just take the credentials. I was like, you know, frankly, it's just like, I'm just curious. And one of my other colleagues came over and he asked the same question. And they're like, guys, it's a rule. You know this, da, da, da. He's like, well, I just came over from doing video and you didn't say anything to me. So why is it you're picking on her? And they wouldn't answer the question. So... This is the hockey, the lead hockey writer for the Tribune. This is Chris Cook. We, we tell him about it. He goes to the Hockey Writers Association president, and they write them a letter. I go to my boss at the Tribune, and the managing editor of sports and the sports editor write the Blackhawks a letter about why they were picking on me. So they apologized to them in the email. They didn't apologize to me in person, but they basically said there was a misunderstanding, even though they said in front of the other coworker that, you know, I couldn't record the video and never answered why the other ones could. So that's the worst experience I've ever had. And when I say worst, I mean like the worst for me. It's not that bad in the grand scheme of things. I wasn't kicked out of the playoffs. I ended mm-hmm. up coming back several days after the fact, still doing video and everything else in between. So it was just weird. Mm-hmm. Um, the worst, but this experience, um, I would rank as much, much worse. And this is something that I've warned other younger girls about is that don't be dependent on your school papers. I, I did not work at my school paper for very long um and that's because they fired me and they accused me of plagiarism (laughs) and i don't know bill if you've heard me tell the story but Mm. basically i haven't heard this one (laughs) (laughs) um the two sports editors had told me that i had plagiarized something and that that was part of the reason for firing is for the um the lack of professionalism uh on my twitter account which i didn't personally understand what they meant by that one they didn't explain it for thoroughly and that I hadn't improved to the extent that someone on staff for uh, about half of a year should have improved. So I asked them to write down. Now this is at the University of Maryland. 
through this University of Maryland, okay. and I asked them to to write this down in the email. Um, I had already talked to my mom. I had this inkling that they were going to fire me. And the worst part is, is that I got a call from the PR person for the volleyball team, and they were telling me that someone else was. They said someone else was calling to say that they're now on the hockey beat, or excuse me, on the volleyball beat, and they're replacing you. So I thought I was being fired from the <laughs> the sports information director for volleyball. So it was a pretty messy situation. The um, I think it was Connell Eterno, Josh Vitale, and Yasmin Abudalib. They wouldn't write the. They would not write down in an email why they had fired me. And I thought that was so strange because they were so sure about this whole thing. So I brought this situation up to the dean of the journalism school, and we had a conversation. Who, who was that at and the time? And this was Olive Reed. Olive Reed is the reason I got into Maryland. Mm-hmm. So Olive was Olive is on is on student side. Olive is just a good person to have. And so I was like, all right, I'll listen because the thing is, it's an independent school paper. So the journalism school couldn't do anything. They could just be an intermediary. So we're having this conversation. And I'm pointing out the fact that you said I plagiarized stuff, but in the meeting where you fired me, you didn't bring examples of that. So I asked them to bring examples of it. And so Yasmin brought examples. And I said, that's interesting because this is not what I actually originally wrote. And so I had my laptop with me and I showed her, this was my original copy that I sent to you all. What it bears, not what I wrote at all. And she said it didn't matter. And Olive was like, well, wait a second. If she didn't write that, then why are you accusing her of plagiarism and, you know, the issue of, like, there being some overlap between the hockey, or excuse me, the volleyball website and her writing? Um, she wouldn't answer that. And she said, you know, you also just weren't professional on, on Twitter. And I was like, well, what examples do you have to show that? I'm, I'm really curious about what you're talking about. And she was like, well, you're wearing a bathing suit in your face, on your Facebook profile. I mean, I go swimming sometimes, but <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I, I really don't know what to make of that. And so she, she brought it up and she's like, you know, typically we don't, you know, um, go on our staffers stuff. And I, I asked her, I was like, well, what about the other, there's another freshman staff writer. He had six profile pictures of him drinking underage as his profile picture on Facebook. That's One of which in which he was passed out. Mm. And so I showed her this. I was sitting there looking at this, and she's just like, well, that is curious that you'd look at Rhiannon's, but you wouldn't look at his. And she's like, well, we don't make it a habit to go through our, our people's social media. And to which I asked her, I was like, okay, so what made me so special? What you well, said about that? I'm, well, I'm, this... she, didn't say any, she didn't say anything. She did not say anything. So I had a lot of questions that went unanswered, and I informed her at that moment, I'm going to bring this up to the Maryland Media Incorporated Board because you're not answering a lot of the basic questions I have, and you've presented evidence that only shows I didn't do the stuff that you're saying, which makes me really question why you fired me. Hmm. Um, and this is to say I didn't want to be hired back. I didn't like working at the Diamondback. I liked some of my colleagues. Mm. I didn't particularly like my bosses because I thought that it's very clicky. I don't like clicks. So I didn't really blend in. I went there to work, and then I went to go do the other stuff with my regular friends. So, um, and, and at so, that meeting with the Maryland Media Incorporated people, they, um, you know, they still didn't present any good evidence. And my mom was with me at that point in time, and Josh Vitale, I to this day I'll always remember this, he was just like, you're not getting hired back. And I said, why would I want to work with you guys again? Riddle me that. When have I asked? to go back to the job. I literally am asking for you guys to clarify information. So they wouldn't concede anything. And what I ended up doing was I went to the Baltimore Sun and I said, well, I got fired because I was accused of plagiarism. And I think you guys should look into it because that's a very serious accusation. I know I hadn't plagiarized anything, but I figured that the Baltimore Sun had more weight than I did. 
So the Baltimore Sun sends the Diamondback uh, editors an email saying, what evidence do you have to show Rian didn't plagiarize anything? Because, you know, we want to know this for our own, our own, like, information. Well, Yasmin wrote an email back that said um, she didn't plagiarize anything. We don't have any evidence that she's plagiarized any documents in her writing. Wow. Mm. So- guess, who, guess who has that email? I do. I am waiting <laughs> you, patiently. You can, I am waiting you, very patiently. You carrying that one around? How long, how long ago is this? <laughs> This was, I was a sophomore. This was in 2012. When I tell you, I'm, I'm a long ball, long ball kind of person. I told you, I don't get mad about stuff. I get very patient. I'm very patient. So what impact did oh. this have on the rest of your career? I mean, clearly, not, not much. clearly, clearly it must have propelled you to because you're doing great things. Right. I mean, what happened? I mean, what did you do the next couple of years? I mean, well, what, I, what I told people is that when a situation like that presents itself, you have two options. I very much could have folded in on myself and been upset that I got fired and they're accusing me of this kind of stuff. But the thing that I took to heart the most is that they said I wasn't a good writer. And so I basically was like, all right, fine. I'll show you guys I'm not a good writer then. And I went on. At the time, I was at the Baltimore Sun. Um, one of the first stories I did for the Baltimore Sun went on their front page of sports. Hmm. My fifth story went on the front page of the entire paper. Wow. I helped contribute to Maryland to the story that the Sun did about Maryland moving out of the um, ACC to the Big Ten. Hmm. So I was like, that, that was just step one. But I went to the Baltimore Sun. Uh, I went to the Oklahoman, Houston Chronicle, hmm. USA Today, uh, Chicago Tribune, Dallas Morning News, WUSA 9, the Washington Post as an intern and as a news aide. I worked for Lacrosse Magazine. Needless to say, if I truly was not a good writer, I wouldn't have been in any of those papers, and I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. Right. So that's right. what I mean to say. I'm not getting emotional, but put the facts in front of you. I can show that I'm a good writer, and my career path can pretty much adequately stamp out the, any idea that I'm not. I can always improve, but to say that I was not a good writer, well, you, just, you could have just said you didn't like me, and I would have taken that better than you saying I wasn't a good writer. That's all. Have you have you ever been um, in a situation? I asked you about being a uh, the, the gender thing. You know, mm-hmm. sexual harassment is in the air now. Have, a, I just like to get your perspective on it. Um, mm-hmm. On so many people falling. Have you ever um, been a victim or a or, or been involved in in in, in um, harassment? Somebody using their power to um, coerce you or anything? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I have, um, at least not in journalism. I've never come across that. Um, and like I said before, I mean, most of like, I usually run in like NBA and NFL guys and sometimes major league guys. They treat me with the utmost respect. I have never had any issue with any of them. Um, and I'm happy to say that they've been really, really kind to me and as nice as anyone can be. Um, more issues that I would say I've dealt with, like, for instance, walking to the office. Um, you know, Bill and Jamal, when you guys walk outside, do you guys think about walking outside no. to go to your car or to go anywhere? Do you think about that? It depends um, on my part. Yeah, yeah, no, but, no, nothing. Okay. But, but, but to keep the conversation going, no. Just for sake of argument, no. Okay. Well, on a day-to-day basis, depending on, not, necessarily, not even necessarily where I am, when I'm walking down the street, I, or even before I leave, sometimes I think about what outfit should I wear? Not that my outfit is indicative of anyone doing something to me, but I will sit there and think to myself, oh, it's like, well, those pants may be a little too tight. I may have someone say something slick. Right. Um, or someone may try to grab me. I've had people stalk mm, really? me. I've had, right. yeah, when I went, to, do you remember? I, well, no, Bill, you may not have been here. I was in New Orleans last year and I had a guy stalk me. 
um, when I was walking um, down from Cafe Du Monde, and he didn't stop following me until I got to a police officer. And I told the police officer, like, I'm just going to fake a conversation with you because there are these two guys behind me that have been following me for the last few blocks. And if you could just pretend like you're helping me go somewhere, I'd really appreciate it. Right. Um, mm. And the two guys walked away and the police officers escorted me back to my hotel. Yeah, I've never had to um, deal with that for sure. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. Yeah, like, you know, no, you're right. I know where you know, I know where you're right, coming from. Right. Like we that stuff that guys do not have to deal with. Right. No, um and I and the thing is I wouldn't want that for any guy to experience that. I can explain right. that to you guys and you know, Jamal or you or Bill saying like, Okay, I, I get that. I never deal with that kind of stuff. Right. There are a lot of guys who are like Okay, so what? Like that? Why is that? You you don't get right. why being stalked for a couple blocks isn't a big deal. Then I don't know what to tell you. Um, or like someone will say something and I might not even hear somebody. And if I don't respond, they're like, "Oh, you're a bitch, or I didn't want you, mm. or this, that, and the third. And I'm like, "It's not that deep." Mm. Right. Um, and I usually, I truly only have ever dealt with this with black men specifically. Maybe a few Latinx men here and there. Um. I've never dealt with this with another group, though, by and large. And, you know, I know some of that comes down to attraction or whatever have right. you. But usually speaking, it's just one of those things where, it's like, I just want to walk somewhere. But I'm not walking anywhere for attention. I'm not wearing a particular outfit because I want someone to run up on me, grab me, yell at me, or whatever have you. And I think most women would agree that when we walk out front, our front door, we're just trying to, you know, live our best life and not be worried about that kind of stuff. But not only do you have to worry about that kind of stuff, let's say a guy walks up to you and he wants your number – and guys are like, well, just don't give them your number. Well, if you watch the news, you know that women don't give guys their number and they get shot in the face. Right. Or they're going out for a, yeah, no, or they go out uh, for a cigarette smoke and a guy walks up behind them and chokes them. Right. Or um, they turn a guy down and he rolls up into her apartment three days later and shoots her next to a baby. Hmm. I mean, it's yeah, you, no, no, so many, yeah, yeah, yeah no, mean, it's 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 it can be crazy, no question. Jesus, yeah. No question, but yeah. you, but so, but in terms of, but in terms of the sports world, that you're saying, you know, like, so the locker room is a safe place. I know, you know? stay in the locker room. You know, you know what I mean. <laughs> like that hasn't, it yeah. hasn't happened, you know, as far as your profession but, goes, you know, which is, no, but do you, do you, do you I've think, never had that happen. but do you think that this whole with all these, we see all these these powerful people going down. Do you think mm-hmm. that the rules of engagement has changed? Do you do you think that? Uh, there's a softening in this because what you're describing is almost not harassment. You're talking about the definition of sexism and and sexual oppression almost. Right. Do you see that changing? Uh, uh, just in and you're you're a youngish person. Um, do you yeah. see it changing? Do you do you see th- these last two months have had any impact uh, on on uh, men's sense of entitlement? Uh, men's yeah yeah or 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 or. You know the, the situations you described. Do you think like that all this stuff that's going on now could maybe, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty years from now, you know, you know, a young woman might not have to deal with that type of stuff right. uh, walking down the street. Do you think there's any any promise as far as that goes? I think the thing that has been most surprising is that men are like, we did not know that you guys had it this bad. And again, you don't treat someone like, how do you not know that? Because it makes people shut down. I can believe that there's probably a lot of men that go through their every single day life and don't imagine stuff being as bad as it is for women, Um, whether it be a guy just whipping his dick out or Mm -hmm. a guy sending um, pics or suggesting that if you do something for him that he'll do something for your career. Um, I think it does catch a lot of men by surprise that this stuff is happening, Mm -hmm. uh, which is 
it's not unfortunate. It's just the reality of there and you guys are in your own bubble. Sometimes things don't happen. You don't pay attention to things <laughs> right. that aren't happening to you. No, seriously. So, yeah. Excuse me. But now that people are aware of it, what needs to take place to really change things is that when men see something, they need to call out because the fact mm-hmm. of the matter remains that as a woman, I can say this to you. I can say this to a lot of my guy friends and that still may not change the behavior. Another guy calling you out and saying to you, yo, that's not cool. Don't do that or whatever have you still has more impact than all the stories that have come out in the last two months. And to be clear, there's still not, there's still a lot of women of color. Um, there's still a lot of women that are in the LGBT community and men as well too. I want to be clear that there are men that go through this as well. Until we get to a point where people of all walks of life feel comfortable talking about the sexual misconduct that takes place to them or that they witness, we're not going to see as much change as we think we are. And that's just an unfortunate fact of truth is that you need to not only talk about it, but you need to see people start to act on it as well. So legislation being put in place, um, people feeling more emboldened to speak up when they see these kinds of things, because the fact of the matter remains is that if someone feels that speaking up is going to result in some sort of a detriment to their well-being, their career, or whatever have you, they're not going to speak up. And it's hard. You don't want to try to make someone feel bad, like, well, why didn't you say something? Because there are a lot of circumstances. Some people don't speak up because they don't want to speak up, but a lot of people don't speak up because they feel as though something adverse will happen to them or maybe they'll be the next ones that have to deal with this kind of stuff. It's just not so simple. What's the, what's the I'm just curious. I mean, I know we got we to gotta, uh, let you go. Uh, is, is, how's the cat? Is the cat still hanging in there? <laughs> Yeah, he's sleeping. I told you he wasn't gonna make any noise. <laughs> but what? What's the? Um, you know, with, within the the sports movement, what about the L uh, LBGTQ um, movement within sports? Um, I'm still fascinated, with, with, particularly in male dominated sports. It's kind of not really brought up. Sexuality is not really even mm-hmm. brought up. Well, clearly, it seems like in the WNBA, it's, it's something more, you know, more I, I guess accepted. Uh, do you do you find within in particularly men's sports, it's still not the whole idea of sexuality, is still not really embraced or talked about that much. No, it's not. Um, and in order for that to to be changed, you have to change the way that these things are presented. We, you know, though you you Jamal, we all talk about the way people are presented, and people being stereotyped in the larger mass media, so like how they look on TV and stuff like that. I would presume, and based on conversations I've had, a lot of men think of men that are gay as being very effeminate. And I'm sitting there like, where are you getting this idea that all gay men are effeminate? Right. And they're like, well, look at the ones that are on TV. Jeez, oh, that's not... Uh, there are lots of men that are gay that you would never know unless they tell you that they're gay. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the idea of a man that plays a professional sport being gay, bisexual, whatever have you, is just like mind-blown. It's crazy. It's like a crazy thought. It's not possible. Um, so you need to change the way that those things are presented. Uh, I think a lot of people know that, yeah, I am bisexual. So actually, when I, when, like I said, it's like people that know that, they feel comfortable talking to me about that kind of stuff. Well, mm. well how, do, how do you get to that point? Or like, well, what does it mean for me? And I'm like, well, I can't tell you what it means for you, but I can tell you what it means for me and what I've experienced and how it goes for me. But people, when, when you put that, that representation out there, people will feel comfortable talking to you about that kind of stuff. So, for instance, if there's more LGBTQ journalists out there, I think there will be a lot more mm. athletes that are willing to, like, talk and just get it off their chest. And the thing that has come across to me is this feeling of, like, mm, I feel like it's almost relief sometimes for some of them. Some of them, it's like, 
this is who I am. I don't want to broadcast it per se, but a lot of them are just like, it feels like a weight sitting on my chest. Mm. And I don't want to talk to them about someone who will be like, oh my God, I just found out this person is, because for me, it's like, well, I'm happy that you got it off your chest. Right. I don't treat it as a piece to go into my story. I treat it as like, well, this is someone's life and understanding that this is something that they're really battling with and grappling with and it's hard for them and they'll come out on their own time. No one, there's no one bright schedule for when someone should come out. Hmm. What about, what about coverage of, uh, of women? You know, I've seen, you know, I know you covered some, some women's basketball. Um, mm-hmm. You know, w- what's your feeling on, on the amount of coverage that women's sports get and the, you know, the, the type of coverage that women's sports get? You know, what's, what's your feeling as far as that goes? Uh, they're always trying to make women so effeminate when it comes to, like, coverage. I mean, like, they'll try to stall them up and stuff like that. And uh, sometimes the topic, which, like, I think when women and some men cover women's sports, it's just you talk talk about it like you do with guy sports. I mean, that's that's all they are. They're the athletes, you know. Um, there's some differences, obviously, but you just treat them like the professional athletes that they are. So, I mean, like, when someone makes it seem like, you know, it's so difficult – for um, someone like Serena Williams, for instance, she's going to go out, she had a baby, and she's going to come back and play tennis eventually. Well, some of the writing was like, you know, will she be able to come back, blah, 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 blah. Serena Williams is one of the top athletes ever, period. Not just in tennis, just in general. Um, even cross-generation, she is one of the most powerful, successful athletes we have ever seen. It should not be a question of whether or not she's going to come back. Well, she's playing better than more than, not say, 90% of her field, at plus 32. So, no, I don't think it's a question of will she come back or what, or whether she'll come back. She will. Maybe a time, like a timing question. But she's going to come back and she's going to be Serene Williams. Right. Um, you don't have to treat it like it's a destiny, which is what it feels like a lot of times, is that if a woman has a child, you know, she's never going to be back to the athlete that she was and whatever have you. Um, some people may not remember, Cheryl Swoops came into the right. Houston Commons after having her son and went on to win four championships back to back to back. One of very few sports teams that have ever done that professionally. Um, or they talk a lot about women as mothers. I mean, if we're going to talk about women as mothers, we should talk about you know men as fathers, too. I think right. it's just as important. Yeah. We act like men don't care about their kids as much as women do. Right. Um, and actually, <laughs> point, of, point of the media, do you guys remember the New York Mets player that went on paternity leave because his son was being born? Yeah. And the media was crushing him. Like, well, you get paid to do this job, blah, blah, blah. How dare you not be there? Like, you can have other kids. I'm like, what in the world? You can have other kids? That's how you feel? <laughs> this is just, this is first war. That's a big deal. It's like a big deal. Right. Jeez. Right. And, 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 um, and sport and, and, and teams and organizations have changed a little bit on that. And now they, they actually yeah. give you, you know, you're expected to take those days now where even like five years ago, that was unheard of. I know. I was thinking that. Uh, I didn't take paternity like paternity leave. <laughs> I wonder if we could do it now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, exactly. Well, I mean, one one last one last one last thing before yeah, but before we gotta go, one last thing. You mentioned Serena Williams, and I, and I always think mm-hmm. about this with with uh, women's sports, um, and it, to me, it seems like the one sport that's truly accepted um, is tennis as a, as a women's sport. When you look at the women who are who become icons in the sporting world in general, usually come from tennis. 
and not maybe, really maybe track and field maybe, maybe track and field maybe. yeah also track and field, i'm just yeah. I'm, I'm wondering why it's those two why it's those two sports and and not you know basketball or soccer or soccer well, or other sports tough, though, you know right? why you know what what would those what would basketball for instance what would they have to do right. in order to to reach like a tennis a tennis level of acceptance hmm. you know what i think some of it is it's the fact that with track and field and with tennis the women are the dominant one clear like clear as day um we could maybe argue for like uh justin gallon um oh you mean the dominant ones in the in the profession yeah, in but general like, but, if you, but, but if you think about like men, women's basketball one of the biggest <clears throat> things is they're always being compared to the men right. that is always the biggest thing they're right. always Basketball's like tough. oh you guys can't yeah. dunk whatever right. have you Serena Williams isn't being compared to any of the black athletes or any other black tennis men players, in tennis. Right. Black mm-hmm. men in tennis are just not. Right. Well, they don't exist. Right. They, they don't exist. But I mean, but you have you have great tennis players in general that are out right. there. Whatever, you but, know. but, you, but you're right, though, that, that Serena is so, she is more dominant, I mean, almost than anybody. But, but in other words, there's not a black counterpart that would be like no, sort not. of the black Serena, in, a, a guy that you can compare to. No. But but, it, but in basketball it's tough because right. But in just, tennis in general, I mean, even before there was a Serena or a black star, you had like you know Chris Everett Lloyd was like a famous person right. in sports. You know, uh, right. uh, Martina Navratilova. So why these, these were respected athletes, right. and they were like icons. You know, right. they were up there. You know, they were the spokesmen. Right. You know, they were spokesmen right. out there. So I'm wondering but not, but, why right, other right, right. other female athletes don't get to that level from other sports. Right, like even golf. Right. That you, I mean, right. you know, you don't even. That is a good question. Maybe we'll answer that next segment. That's a tough question. That, I mean, that's a good question, though. Why? Right? But track and field, too. The same thing. You could be, you know, I mean, uh, women in track are historic and legendary. Right. But, but you're right. Basketball, I mean, not so much. Maybe a team sport difference, but it doesn't, it yeah. doesn't affect men. Right. No, it doesn't affect men. And of course, like if you like, let's well, say, that's what we're talking about. This whole thing is about sexism. Now we control this. <laughs> right. That's why. Right. Right. If you could, if there was a let's say, if there was a black tennis player on the men's side that was as good as Serena Williams, going at the same time, I would bet you, I'd bet you a hundred million dollars, we'd be having questions about. Well, her accomplishments are good, but this guy over here. It would be a question. It would be a whole conversation piece. And the thing, the fact of the matter is, is that we had Arthur Ashe. We've had some black. We had, well, actually, that's, a, that's it. Arthur Ashe right. is the best black exactly. tennis player from the United States that we have ever had. There's been no. Period. There's been no. No one is even on the same universe. As no, Serena, there's not. and she's probably going to no. win. Uh, I think she should win her next Grand Slam with a kid, with with her with her child in the stands. Uh, you know, in her hand. In her hands. <laughs> <laughs> in her hands. <laughs> uh, oh. Hey, our guest is uh, is Rihanna. Wall. Rihanna, where did you get your name from? That's that's such a, a an unusual and pretty name. Where did you get that from? I got it from Fleetwood Mac song. It's actually the title of song Rihanna. It's like Rihanna. It's uh, Stevie Nicks and all of them. My dad is a huge Fleetwood Mac fan, and also a huge Star Trek fan, which is why my middle name is Kira. Oh. Kira, how do you spell that? K. K E I R A. Okay, I mean, I do watch Star Trek. I'm not. I kind of like Fleetwood Mac. I went to an HBCU. Not, not that, not oh. that, not that we didn't. Not that there were people, you know, who ended, you know. But anyway, let's. Stop that. <laughs> don't, worry, don't worry about that. I was thinking, but. I wouldn't assume not because you saw Black Hogwarts on Twitter yesterday. Some HBCU people were getting into it. So, no, I don't assume people at HBCUs don't watch 
sci-fi, fantasy, geeky stuff. I, right. I would never assume that. There are plenty of black geeks out, out, out here. I'm going you to say my And you'll see them. You'll, 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 we'll be on Roden. They'll be on Bill Roden on Sports soon. <laughs> they'll all be here. <laughs> all you black geeks, exactly. just you contact Jamal Murphy. <laughs> hey, our guest has been uh, uh, the wonderful Rihanna Walker. Uh, she's an uh, associate editor at uh, The Undefeated. Uh, how could they get you? What's what's your what's your handle? Uh, if people want to, well, we don't want anybody to stalk. But if they, if they want to okay. read read your read, read your work and, and and contact you, what's your, what's your what's your handle? My handle is instant traditional spelling re r h i play because in sports instant replay. Uh, and that's it. That's my handle for everything. Uh, Twitter. I like it. I like Instagram. it. I found Snapchat. it the other day. I followed you on all exactly. on all yeah. mediums. Jamal found it on all my mediums. So. Jamal's a bloodhound. <laughs> if we gotta find somebody, fetch. Hey, I got one question before we leave. This is completely. Uh-huh. I'm still I'm still pissed off about what happened to um, uh, Jalen Hurts at Atlanta. I mean, I'm, I know the game is over and we're on to something uh-huh. else, but I'm like, wait a uh-huh. minute. The guy, the guy took you to a twenty-six and two record, right. and you gonna bench him at the half? He now, had to, man. It worked. I mean, yeah. well, it worked, yeah. But I mean, what happened to you? Do you think that the Oklahoma coach would have would have would have benched? What's the boy's name at uh, Oklahoma? Oh. Baker Mayfield. Yeah. Do you think? No. You think his? You think his coach would have said, "All right, Baker, we're gonna bench you at half because it's not going that well." I, I don't know. To me, it, where's the loyalty? Where's like, hey, you know, you took us this far. You know, uh, we're gonna sink or swim with you. <laughs> the kid, but the kid couldn't throw. You know, like, could, oh, for two years, he had two years. But he was twenty six and two. Jamal, what I know, do you but, want? but you know, they they were shutting him down. I think that you know, saving. Uh, that's why saving is saving. Why? Why? He's ruthless. Well, oh, well, oh so okay. Well, so is so is Potus forty five. Do we praise that? Uh, oh God, no. no. I mean, I hear you. Yeah, like, no, don't look at Nick Saban. Also, don't look at what's the the Bills coach Peterman uh, who oh, that, Tyrod Taylor. That was horrible. Yo. Now that didn't make sense. <laughs> I mean, if it, that's the that's the way you get around this because you know the kid turned out to have a rocket arm, uh, Samoan kid with a rocket arm arm, and it, and it worked right. Um, it did. But the, the the situation you're talking about in Buffalo, that was a, the kid. Ooh. He he takes out uh, Taylor, puts in this kid Peterman, and he throws five interceptions <laughs> in the first half. Five. Five interceptions know. in the first half. But Rian, I didn't get your answer. <laughs> are you with? Are you with me, are or with, do you disagree? Because we'll with connect Saban. you. You're with, you're with, yeah, yeah. Are you with? I know yeah. you got to go with the legend. I, well, no, you got to uh, go with who's gonna <laughs> credential you. Who's gonna credential you next? Where you get that interview? Follow the truth where it leads, Rihanna. Follow here's, the truth the where thing. it leads. Here's the, here's the thing. I would I would have let Jalen in. Like here's the thing. I was hoping for at least Jordan one play, right? Game. One 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 series. <laughs> Does he stay? I know George is tough, but God, but they deserve it. <laughs> but does he transfer? Does he, does he? Maybe, maybe he goes. Maybe he goes to Grambling, or he goes. See, that would never happen. Well, maybe I've seen. I've, I've already seen that. I've already seen that meme. They said he's a, he's the next uh, quarterback at Tuskegee. He's the next Tuskegee. Oh Lord! <laughs> oh, it was, that was a meme I saw. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs>
No, it's all good. I, you know, I love a good meme. See, here's the thing, though. I would, I would like to think that Jalen is a competitive person and he doesn't transfer out because he got benched for the half. And he handled it. He handled it very well. He did handle it very well. Very and if class. you're a competitive I person, wonder what Jeff Sessions said about that. Oh man. <laughs> Mm. I'm sorry. I just it, it, that that made no sense. I just had to get what, what blows me away is that you got this administration people like Sessions from Alabama, and even in Huntsville, you know when POTUS 45 made, and you know half those people were were fans of either Alabama or or or, or oh, Auburn. Yep. I mean you you you, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's just the sort of the um, ambivalence and the uh, the um, the divide. It's just crazy to have all these even at the stands on on Monday night uh, Monday at the championship game mostly white folks and cheer yeah. all these given what's happening in this country and watching these kids go run up and down just hug them and all that which kind of gets back to how uh-huh. we began this conversation and what you just said about about men speaking out i mean i think we're, we're sort of at a point if you consider yourself a decent human being if you consider yourself a decent man if you you gotta you you have to speak out you yes. you have to step up and speak out. It's not going to be easy. They're not going to throw you parades. You could actually be accosted. But I guess that's what you were talking about. We're, we're, if you're in, if you're in the cheering for all these young black folks, but you've got an administration that that presumably is racist, are you mm-hmm. gonna are you going to step up? Are you going to say you know what this is not cool? Right. You know we like he's a good wide receiver. He could also you know right. Right. So I don't know. Yeah. No, of course not. That wasn't a question. a question. That was just a, that was just a, it wasn't a question. It was oh, just, you know. I have a question for you guys. Did you guys see the video um, of that street in Tuscaloosa when they're singing Kendrick Lamar and they're singing um, Mad City? Did you see the part? Did, did you see this song on I didn't, uh, Twitter? I didn't, I didn't see that. I got to check that out. Oh, my gosh. Look at look on Jamel's uh, Twitter timeline. They, so the, so the song goes, um, Every, every time I'm in the streets, I hear, yeah, yeah, man down, where you from, insert, you already know what word I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. So these white kids, the sea of mostly white kids, I waited for it because I knew they were going to say it. And they just and say it. They said the N-word strong. They said the N-word strong, strong mm-hmm. in three, four words. Mm-hmm. They're like, where you from? Paying pay for Kendrick uh, Lamar's second mansion. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. No. So yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a ma- I mean, your, they do. They're paying. For, they're paying the... for his second mansion. We sure. We sure are good entertainers. That's yeah, all I gotta uh, say. To say the least. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Rihanna. You. So we have to have you on for part two, but we have to have you on the course. studio. Right. You gotta come in the studio. Yeah. You gotta come in the studio. I would love to. <laughs> well, you know, I love a good trip to New York. You love I come to New York. Come to the back cave. <laughs> well, you know, Sar- uh, uh, Sarai is up here now. I heard. I heard. Yeah, well, it's true. I saw. <laughs> I have to come visit her. Yeah. Hey, hey Rihanna, thank you so much uh, for, for being uh, a guest. Uh, our guest has been uh, the great Rihanna Walker. She, she went from wonderful to now the great. The great. The great Rihanna oh Walker. Uh, and in 10 thank years you. from now, she's going to be the legendary mm. Rihanna. Oh I, I can't even imagine. What, what do you think? What, what would you like to be doing 10 years from now, Rihanna? 10 years from now? Mm. I would like to be telling um, shorts. Small features, big features. I want to continue to tell stories about people that don't have a voice and or people that don't have the outlets to go on telling their stories that are important and need to be known just as much as anybody else's. That's, that's all I want to do in my career. I, I don't care how big the person is. I really care more so about how good is the story 
um, does this person's story deserve to be out there as much as anybody else's story? And if so, how can I go about telling it to the best of my abilities? Mm. So can't wait. Whether it be video, whether it be print, uh, we're not print, but digital. Um, right. I've learned that you don't have to have a long story to have a good story. Mm. And the most impactful sometimes can be the really short video where you just get someone to open up about something they've never talked about. Mm. And as long as I keep growing towards that, I'm going to be a happy camper. Mm. Good stuff. Hey, Rihanna, thank you so much. Um, our guest is Rihanna Walker, uh, an associate editor at The Undefeated. Read The Undefeated. Read Rihanna. Great stuff. She's, she's just an example of some of the great young writers uh, at The Undefeated. Um, Thank you guys for having me again. Hey, I really do appreciate it. Yeah, pleasure. Pleasures are. Happy New Year, and we'll see you soon. Soon. Happy New Year, guys. <laughs> happy Enjoy. New Year. Oh, and have a happy holiday. Martin Luther King weekend. Yes. That's right. Yes. That's right. Party. I guess All I right. should say party. All right. <laughs> Bye. Enjoy, guys. Talk to right. you later. Bye. All right. So that was great. That was great. Good stuff. Yeah. So, Good stuff. Yeah. We see. We see. You don't. Uh, you didn't like uh, Alabama. I you didn't, didn't like, like Saban's decision. Didn't like that. But that's why he's Nick Saban. That's why. He, <laughs> I can do anything. I can fire any motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. He. It, it turned out. It, it worked. Um, right. You know. So. All right. Um, so that's our show. That's the show. Uh, great guest, uh, Jamal. Thanks again. Thanks for like dragging me out of. Uh, down to the studio it was well worth it. Got to do it. Got to do it. You know, <laughs> you know. And I go back to uh, you know my sabbatical. <laughs> uh, we like so, thank so our I, producer. I, I, I shouldn't ask how how that how's it going. No, no, no it's going. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> NFL playoffs this week coming right. up. Uh, for some reason, I, I care less about something about the NFL playoffs this year. It's not that exciting. Um, well, I guess New, New England will be back New in the Super Bowl. Minnesota. You know, there's no Teddy Bridgewater. So, no Teddy although Bridgewater. the guy, that's a good story. Whoever's a the quarterback there. I'm predicting a rematch, Atlanta and. Well, Atlanta. you know, if 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 this stuff can be fixed, then that's going to be the rematch. Right. That that that's the you know I'm I'm not saying it's a fix. Right. I'm not saying it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so if it's Atlanta and New England, the Super Bowl, you know. Oh, one one serious uh, note to end with: uh, Andrew Jones from Texas was diagnosed with uh, leukemia. Mm. Uh, this past week, so definitely prayers to him. Oh the whole God. Texas basketball community. We mm. had we had Shaka Smart yeah, yeah, on. I think yeah. you, you you even talked to Andrew Jones. I think so at um oh my goodness at the uh, at the Big at, Twelve at the Big media 12 media oh, day. Wow. But he was he was diagnosed with leukemia a week mm. ago. Oh my God! Um, so uh, wow, prayers go out to him. Definitely. Mm. All right. Well, hey, listen, everybody. Uh, hope you're the first couple of weeks of the new year have been going strong. Uh, have a great new year and uh, we will see you uh, or you'll hear us next week Uh, God bless take care Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.